Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. Today, we're talking about defining organizational problems beyond personal experience. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership across the world and work with those leaders to co-create a thriving future. Our work includes assisting leaders in identifying disruptive trends and developing strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and in the future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted to have with us today Liz Kislik. Liz is a management consultant and executive coach and a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review and Forbes. Her specialty is developing high-performing leaders and workforces, and she helps family-run businesses, national nonprofits, and Fortune 500 companies like American Express, Girl Scouts, Staples, Janssen Pharmaceutical, and Highlights for Children solve their thorniest problems. Her TEDx talk, why there's so much conflict at work and what you can do to fix it has been viewed over 160,000 times. Liz received her BA from Yale University and earned an MBA in management from NYU. So in today's session, we're going to talk about the way leaders define a problem and how that comes from their experience of the problem and may not account for everything that's going on. At the same time, there is almost anything they can do to improve their situation. So it's critical to look deeply at what's going on and the problem's causes and sources to be able to work on it in the most effective ways. So Liz, do you want to tell us anything more about you before we launch into the conversation? Oh, no, that seems like plenty, Maureen. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. So let's start the first segment with organizational problems. Why is it so hard to get traction on organizational problems? Oh, we all hate problems, you know. Um, So one of the first things, and and this is a little funny, is that in many ways, we think about problems as the things we feel, the things that we react to. But the problem itself is something that exists outside of us, and it's not just our feelings about it or... Uh, our reactions to it. So we don't actually recognize, understand, or know the problem as well as we think we do. What we know is that something's bothering us. Okay. So can you give us a concrete example with one of your clients about, and you may not want to name the client because I realize that's touchy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, a, a problem that someone faced and what masked it and what helped unmask it. Okay. So um, one of the kinds of problems, I'm actually going to generalize okay. for this. Very classic to have certain kinds of interdepartmental problems that come up over and over again. So uh, sales has one point of view and uh, the production or operations or manufacturing group has a different point of view. Mm -hmm. And they get mad at each other. Sales wants to modify things as much as possible so that every customer can be happy and manufacturing or operations whether you're talking about a service or an actual product or good. Uh, Operations wants things to be as standardized as possible so they have control over the process and can be both efficient from a cost perspective and accurate from a delivery perspective. So that's a kind of apparent inherent conflict. It is a problem 
that very often gets personalized and the individuals talk about sales and manufacturing as if the people in them are different tribes. They all believe the same things and we're all standing with our arms crossed facing each other across a, a great divide. How's that for a setup? Great. So how do you then start to help break down the divide between people that's caused by an organ, I assume in most cases, the general organizational construct puts them at odds? Yes. Um, Very often, we think that we are our jobs and how our jobs work is what we we are manifesting as humans. One of the great things is to think beyond the tasks we do every day, the things we feel responsible for and have to cross off our lists, and to think instead about either serving the customer in general and also what are the values of our organization. Say one of the values is that we always want to be able to um, deliver the right product within two days of a customer ordering, just as a, you know, gross example. Yeah. So in that case, we need to make sure we've got merchandise on the shelves. That might cause a salesperson to think, oh, a little standardization is a good thing because then they can manufacture ahead and the goods are already there. If it's custom and it's a kind of thing we've never sold before, we might have trouble meeting our two-day promise. Uh-huh. So it might actually be better not to say we can customize to a fare thee well. It might be better to standardize and meet the big commitment of we always have what you need in stock. So these value propositions are a way of stepping back and looking at the trade-offs instead of looking at the loyalty. I have loyalty to my customer if I'm in sales. I have loyalty to my procedures and processes if I'm in operations. We both have loyalty towards satisfying the customer in a reasonable amount of time. So, so it is stepping back and finding the, the shared commitment in, in values and customer commitments. Yes. And the smaller my department versus your department. Exactly right. Ste- um, there are different constructs for this. One is called going to the balcony, mm-hmm. where, where you can see the action happening below and you are at a bit of a distance. Or you could think about it as the movie playing out. Or you can just think about stepping back, stepping out of it and watching the action, but trying not to be in the middle of what feels like a battle is really the first thing. Perfect. And then is there a second thing? So I step onto the balcony and I observe and I ask questions. It sounds like, uh, what is our shared, what are our shared values? What is our shared commitment to our client? Good. So a second thing is really being committed to a joint success. And you might put that in terms of, okay, great. Now I see the action in front of me. I see what I'm trying to accomplish. I see what my counterpart is trying to accomplish. How can we come up with something that's good for everybody as opposed to how can I get the thing I think I need? Mm-hmm. And this sounds like it also is contingent upon an organizational culture that clearly defines values and allows for departments to make a holistic decision rather than holding them so so strictly to two days versus complete efficiency, which means I have nothing on the shelf. Yes. Uh, look, we are seeing now how having nothing on the shelf can really be a danger. Yeah, in the toilet paper struggle. Yes, yes. Um, You know, same for milk and eggs. Mm -hmm. It it really is a problem having nothing on the shelf 
means that there's a lot being held somewhere else. I don't know if you've seen the recent articles about how farmers are actually plowing vegetables back into the ground. And milk is being dumped. Yeah. yeah. I've seen some of that. Yeah. It's a distribution problem, not a supply problem. So too much efficiency, cutting it too close to the bone. I'm, I'm very fond of um, quoting my great-grandmother who used to say, you've got to have a cushion. Mm-hmm. You need some slack in the system. I, I, she was thinking more in terms of some money, you know, under the bed and a little extra flesh in case you came into a hard time. Um, the fashion but, industry may not agree with her. Yes. Um, but if there's no slack in the system, a very small external problem can actually throw you completely for a loop. You know, it's interesting. I love the term organizational resilience or, or shock resilience that, that when we are too efficient, so we've leaned everything out of the system and all of those things that we have been taught to do. And frankly, I've worked with clients to do that too much of that really does make us then unsustainable when we hit it, hit a bump. Yes, I think that's really true. I, in most of my work, I've always been very clear with clients that if they want an efficiency expert, I'm not it. Mm-hmm. My first goal is to ensure that there's effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Then if you can take noise or friction out of the system to make it work more smoothly in a streamlined way, more efficiently, I'm all for it. But first, figure out what's best. That's number one. Number two is from a kind of um, risk management perspective. It may be that no one could have foreseen how much uh, residential stock toilet paper needed to be on the shelves. Right, right. But water bottles, that was the odd one is this isn't supposed to impact the water supply, but it seems like everyone was buying bottled water. Yeah, I I wonder, you know, I don't know if there's any research on this, but when we prepare for a hurricane, which we sometimes have Mm -hmm. in my part of New York or tornadoes in the middle of the country or earthquakes, you know, out in California or whatever it is you're told to have X number of days of water on hand. Mm -hmm. And I think this emergency of COVID-19 is just one that we weren't used to thinking about in the same way. So what's the way we usually prepare? There's, you know, a big joke in all of the Northeast about milk and bread, milk and bread, you know, Mm -hmm. snow falls and everybody screams, oh, I have to get milk and bread and runs off to the supermarket. And, you know, gets more milk and bread than they would ever use in a hundred years. Um, and some of that stuff spoils. Toilet yes. paper at least gets to sit on the shelf for a long time. That's right. That's right. But I think we are, as is usually the case, we are trying to solve a problem that occurred in the past, as opposed to facing the one that's happening now. We didn't know enough about it. And so that brings us, we've got about four minutes left in this segment to the next question, why is it worth investing in, the, in actually understanding the problem deeply? There are a whole bunch of, I can't remember what the Einstein quote or, or the quote that is assumed to be Einstein about if he had an hour to solve a problem, he'd spend 55 minutes actually identifying what the problem was and the last five minutes trying to solve it. We mostly focus on the wrong things. We focus on our feeling about it and trying to get more comfortable by getting what we need. That's one of the things we do when our problem is with another person. Or in this kind of case where it's a a really systemic problem, I think we focus too much on what we have experienced in the past and trying to operate just out of that as opposed to sitting still and really observing 
and collecting data or research as much as there is in the environment at any point. We, we tend to give a lot of credit, I think, to um, taking action quickly mm-hmm. when, in fact, sometimes it's best to pause first and choose your action. Well, especially in times where the problem we're solving isn't one we have solved before or where the solution from before won't work. Exactly. So so even stepping out of the pandemic, machine learning, artificial intelligence, we have all kinds of things happening in our ecosystem that won't be solved in the future. The the disruption caused by machine learning is different than the, the disruption caused uh, from moving from the agrarian age to the industrial age. So we can't solve it the same yes. way. Right. Okay, so it's time for us to go on break. I invite our listeners to think about a problem that you are currently facing and how you might apply what Liz is talking about now and through the rest of the interview to an existing problem. This is Maureen Metcalf and Liz Kislik, and we're talking about defining organizational problems beyond personal experience. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today, Liz Kislik and I are talking about defining organizational problems beyond personal experience. And in the first segment, Liz talked about specifically how we are addressing the pandemic from the experience we've had with tornadoes and hurricanes and other natural disasters, earthquakes. And it's a different problem. We And yet many people are reacting from their past experience rather than addressing this crisis from the perspective of actually what might be appropriate during a pandemic. So in the second segment, we're going to talk about truly understanding the root cause of the problem. So Liz, can you, um, how can a leader get their own perception out of the way so that they can learn more about what's really going on? And I realize the pandemic, while we know the cause of it, what we don't recognize is how it's going to ripple through everyone's lives. So I think the root cause is a slight variation, but still a good example. That's exactly right, Maureen. I think um, the problem of the pandemic 
is not so much the problems the problem that most leaders will have to face. They have to face, how do I deal with my workforce? Can I keep everybody together? Can I preserve all these jobs? Um, do we still have customers? Will we have them? The problems become more localized beyond the pandemic itself. And going back to the point of step away from the problem to be able to see it, the first thing is for the leader to ground themselves and calm themselves and be in a rational frame of mind as opposed to, and we all know leaders like this, the ones who want to drive the fire engine themselves and come screaming down the street and may not even realize that they've left the crew back in the fire station. Um, we've got to, <laughs> to really see what's going on. So, so we don't make a mistake about our, our reaction. And here, whether you uh, do mindfulness meditation or follow the Buddhists or any of the things that permit you to quiet your mind and keep your thoughts from making you nuts, which is, is what happens in this kind of situation. One of the things that I find the most useful and I recommend to clients all the time is to ground yourself in sense perceptions. So this is the deep breathing, feel my feet on the floor. Yes. Notice what's around me. Yes. And come back and realize I'm not dying. Yes. Because my physiological reaction is as if I'm being chased by a pack of wild boars. And the reality is I'm sitting in my office. That's right. I, I don't know about you, a warning that I sometimes gave my children, if I had to do work at home or something quiet and did not want to be interrupted, is that I would tell them, please don't come and get me. Don't call me unless there's fire or blood. Hmm. You know, in you those, <laughs> um, after a while, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea that I can sit still and yes, you said feet on the ground. That's a big one. I, I tell people to feel their feet in their shoes. And sometimes you have to be even more explicit so that people take the time to pause. It's the pause that's important. So feel your big toe, feel your heel, feel your pinky toe. What do you smell? Can you smell the end of your lunch on your desk, for example? Um, what do you see out of the window or what is the picture you have hanging on the wall? Actually use as many of your senses as possible. And that reconnects your scattered mind to your body. It slows your breathing. All of your autonomic systems calm down. And then you can say, okay, I know there's something I have to deal with. Now let me go look at it. Beautiful. and and. So this is just having the discipline because we can feel the, the fight and flight hormones, the adrenaline rushing through our body. Um, at least for me, because it, uh, I feel like I've just run a marathon and I'm sitting in my chair or, or I feel very ill at ease. And so that's the time yes. where I notice the pit in my stomach and um, notice the anxiety level going up. And when I look around again, I what I see is I'm in Ohio, so it's often cloudy, but I can see the sun outside or I can yeah. see the grass is getting green and the flowers are coming up and the world does not seem as dire as it does inside of my head. So I think the thing is really to be able to separate the emotional content which we're all experiencing and almost look at it as a separate aspect of ourselves. And one of the classical ways to do that is not even to say I'm anxious or even I feel anxious, which is a little better. 
but to say, I noticed that I'm having feelings of anxiety so that I'm still fine. I'm noticing what's happening within me and I can label or note what those feelings are. And that creates a much greater sense of control and um, a sense of capability as opposed to being sucked in and, and swamped by those emotions. So by saying I feel a sense of anxiety, it's, it's an experience I'm having. It's not me. It's a thing. So I can make it an object that I can shift? Exactly. Objectifying it is exactly right. And so I can then move from, okay, I've taken a pause. I recognize what I'm experiencing. And then is the next step then choosing what I choose to experience or is there more analysis? That is a good question. You know, I don't know that you can choose your experience and really stick to that because say you're a leader of a team and you're feeling anxious and you have noted that you are having this feeling of anxiety. Mm -hmm. To then say, I choose not to feel anxious, I choose to feel strong and capable you might not be able to stick to that if your thoughts are running around in your head and and you're worried about what's going to happen next. So I think at that point, I would instead recommend I notice these feelings of anxiety and I can think about what's going on in this situation anyway. So notice it and almost send it to the back, you know? It's like when somebody wants to ask a question and you're not ready to recognize them. I see you have a question and I'll get to you when I finish my point. So, yes, anxiety. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, the famous Vietnamese monk, says, oh, yes, my anxiety. Oh, yes, my anger. I see you. And, and he talks to them quite familiarly. So, yes, anxiety. I see that you're there. That's okay. You sit there. I'm going to take care of my job now. So acknowledging that it is there and that, in some cases, that anxiety has kept me safe and alive. It, it, it at least says there's danger. Don't be stupid. Or don't do something oh, yes. that is Yeah, damaging. wonderful to thank it. And still ask it to take a step back. For sure. Because... You don't need to have it all the time. And the good thing about having it is that I would hope not only that it would keep you safe, but that it would remind you that other people are feeling that way too. And Mm. one of the things, Maureen, for your listeners, if you have somebody on your team, or if it's your boss, or if it's you, who has a great belief in the powers of urgency, know that what is called urgency is often a kind of strong view or positive view of anxiety, of the need to complete something or resolve it. So it can be a great force for strength but it can also cause you to drive the truck through the garage door instead of waiting to open the door. <laughs> and I imagine many of us who are considered type A's have metaphorically, hopefully not literally, have done that occasionally. I, I, yes, even metaphorically is not so hot sometimes. It can cause um, the kind of... I'm trying to think of a, a non-judgmental way to say this, which is hard. If, if you're too urgent and you jump too fast, you can cause the need for a lot of rework. Yes. And, and you know, it's interesting, again, back to the, the pandemic, I think many of us have this sense that we should be doing something. So we're scurrying about buying toilet paper. I've been working in my yard and repainting stuff on my house. The sense that I need to be in motion 
And so I'm picking things I can do in part because it's habit that I, that the, that's also what's kept me successful over the years. As long as I'm picking something to drive through that isn't the garage door. Yes. Yes. That can be truly relieving to the individual. And if that makes you, uh, what's the thing that's so popular right now? Baking bread. Okay. It's all, it's all over the media. Really? Sorry. Oh, I've missed the baking bread thing. I haven't, I just haven't seen it. Oh no. Very big deal. Some places, you know, like stores are out of yeast now too. Um, but that baking bread doesn't hurt anybody. Making a decision that affects your team or somebody else's team could actually hurt something, could create unnecessary cost and disruption. So when you come from the recognition of your emotional state and you've settled yourself, so you've calmed your body a little bit, you have acknowledged the way that you are feeling that may not be 100% productive, but you know it's there, then is the time to say, what am I working with and what is the best thing to do about it? And to be deliberate about that, if you feel that kind of heart racing, laser focused, got to get it done now, it might actually be worth quieting yourself again. My assumption is quieting myself as often as possible is useful. Quieting and calming. The more calm I can be in the midst of a crisis, the more physiologically, the more my prefrontal lobe of my brain is working, my executive function is working. I'm not in flight, fight, and freeze where I'm going to go run in front of a car or, again, metaphorically do something uh, that is the result of my brain focusing too much and not fully engaging. Right. I love what you said about executive function. Because that's the real thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got step away from the problem, ground and be aware of taking a breath, feeling my feet, imagining where I am, pausing, what's next? Okay, so then you really have the chance to deal with the mechanics of the situation in front of you. What is going on? Who do you need to consult with? Um, Are there small steps that need to be taken? Are there large steps that need to be taken? Do you need others to agree, or is it appropriate to decide unilaterally? These are all different depending on the specific circumstances. There is rarely a single correct thing to do. But the one thing that is always correct is to think about the others that the situation will affect and that your decision will affect. And not just about the decision itself. It is always right to take others into account, even if your final decision is one that affects them negatively. You should be very conscious of that and not just let others be collateral damage. I would think especially when others are going to be negatively impacted. And so back to the pandemic, uh, companies are trying to figure out who they can keep on payroll so that they can minimize the impact to the families and yet when the pandemic's over reopen so there really is a balancing act it's not a not mean or or greedy or selfish it's really balancing limited cash and how do i optimize across the system and i know that sounds incredibly cold but where we are truly the, the optimizing is how do i stay in business so that when this thing is over, we can serve our customers and pay our employees. That's exactly right. And that's why many companies are using furloughs and pay cuts mm-hmm. as opposed to full-scale layoffs. That's one approach. 
another so approach, and this also can sound cold, but is actually finally dealing with very poor performers. If that has not, you know, if, if you have not dealt with them in the normal course of business, because if you were to follow what used to be the kind of traditional approach to a layoff, which is that you kept more tenured workers and let more recent hires go. But in many organizations, there are people who hung around for quite some time because you couldn't figure out how to tell them they weren't doing well. And now might not be the time to protect them. It might be the time to find the kindest possible way to let them go. I think that's a really important point. And we are going to go to break right now. You are listening to Liz Kislik and Maureen Metcalf. We're talking about defining organizational problems beyond our personal experience. And Liz has just walked us through several of the steps so that I, as a leader, can identify the problem and move toward a solution. We will be right back after break. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You are joining Liz Kislik and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about Defining organizational problems beyond personal experience. So, Liz, as we move into the final segment, making a difference in overcoming problems, what kind of problems are the most typical you deal with? Most of them look like they are interpersonal problems on the surface. So, um, companies will contact me about uh, various kinds of interdepartmental conflict or people who are not working well together, or who seem to get in each other's way. When you dig a little, what you find most often, what I've seen most often, is that they are more likely to be problems that are interpersonal, but that's because there are background problems, either that are structural, Uh, We talked before about some of the conflicts that could happen between, say, a sales group and an operations group, and sometimes that's because they are compensated in conflicting ways. Sales is um, compensated 
for bringing in more customers and more orders and operations might be compensated based on throughput and those things could be in conflict. Or similarly, and I have to say this has actually been more of the case in the last couple of years, that not only do those kinds of things exist, but that the instructions or direction that individuals and work groups are given are often not clear enough, do not separate out who the responsible parties are, and when things are unclear, you know, we fill in the blanks. We make stuff up out of our beliefs, and many problems and conflicts come out of that. When a senior leader believes that they have told everybody, these are our goals, go forth and do, but in fact, Individuals do not know what their specific part of the action. That makes sense. So we really then have to be aware. And this is so common. It seems like many businesses are, back to what we talked about at the beginning, as you said, are structurally designed to create problems across groups and and sub-optimize within the group. And then we're surprised when... In, in fact, people are at odds because they're doing exactly what their their leader or their department or whomever ha- has requested them to do, as are the other people who seem to be the problem. Right. Yes. So, you you so said how, that exactly right. So how do we unwind this? Because if the structure is at odds, then getting the participants to play well together, I realize that's a bit demeaning, but getting the participants to work effectively is then going against the very thing that they are being measured against. Yes. (laughs) It's really, really challenging. And in today's matrix organizations, it's much worse. We expect people to be accountable for joint product as if there were no boundaries in between. But when they work really well with each other interdepartmentally. Sometimes they don't deliver as fully in their own chain, and then they're held responsible for those results. Yes, it's a very, very big mess. So oddly, although I wouldn't have thought it before, this goes back to my great-grandmother. You have to have a cushion. You have to have time for all those meetings so that you're handling things both across departmental boundaries and within your own group. You have to have time to go back to the leader and have the leader not be mad when you say, we're trying to work this out together and we've come to this impasse. Please help us. It's terrible when a leader says, go back and work this out yourself. Because when two managers come to you and say, we need help, boss, it's actually irresponsible not to help them think through to the desk level exactly what's going wrong. Who has the wrong idea? Who's got the wrong execution? What's really happening? This takes time and investment and a kind of trust and compassion, and that's what we need more of. You know, the other thing is, it seems like, is addressing the comp and structural systems. So I'm thinking of some of my clients who give bonuses only if the overall group has met their goals in addition to individuals. So I, as an individual, in fact, don't get my bonus if others in the group have not also accomplished goals. Are you seeing uh, approaches like that that are effective? So those kinds of things can be very effective if everybody gets to participate in making joint decisions. I'm not talking about consensus, where everybody has to agree 100%. But if you have no say at all, then it feels really unfair if you're judged based on the collective output. And I do see that happening as well. And yet, and then the other is a hybrid kind of approach where... I'm still tasked to focus on my piece and the, and the team also gets a team reward. 
And what I've seen that intended to address is I may be really strong and there are newer or less experienced people in the group or folks who are struggling. And if I'm way ahead of target, then is it my responsibility? And and this is a question again of structure to help the group perform or should I, if I'm on the relay team, the faster I run, the better off we are. And it, it, it really will depend on the, the organizational structure and culture. That's right. And to some extent, it also depends, yes, on the culture so much because is everybody being developed so that you may be the strongest runner now, but at least you see that the others are getting faster? Or do you feel like you're going to have to drag them all forever? Well, and if I'm a superstar, I'm not going to want to drag people forever. If I happen to be someone who likes helping people, that's a different equation. But if I'm really a world-class runner and that's what I love to do, I'm going to want to run and get paid for running. So with that, go ahead. This is a tough thing. I mean, this is part of why people sometimes leave organizations if they don't feel they can run their own race the way they want to. Because today's organizations are often meant for people who can perform well in groups. Well, and that's a whole different topic that yep. we won't get into today. <laughs> so let's, for the last question, how can leaders work on challenging problems and get their employees to work on them too? Especially as you pointed out, some of the some of the problems are basic interpersonal. I don't work well with teams or I don't work well with Bill. And then the, and my sense is in most cases, it is also structural, cultural values. Rarely are there just two people who are just so unable to work through their issues that it becomes an organizational issue. There's usually something organizational also happening. Okay, so Maureen, that sounds so hard, makes us all just want to go home. (laughs) Which we Um, don't get to do because we're paid to be here. Yes, exactly right, except we all are home now. Um, I think the first, so here's the thing. If you want to be a leader in today's complex, interconnected world, and that's true even if you have, you know, three people, you have to be willing to take into account all that complexity. And that slows you down. And there will always be a kind of trade-off between the urgency and speed and what it really takes to work the problem through down to its roots and then back up again to get growth. So it means being willing to be tolerant of and patient to hear out the various players, to ask incisive questions that make them bring more data to the table so you can actually see what's going on, and then to make a judgment that says, here's how we're going to work on it with you. I'm not making the decision as if it is to you or on you. We're going to try this, and then let's reconvene and see how it's working. So it's almost like a kind of prototyping solution, as opposed to issuing the kind of fiat or edict that used to be true 30 years ago. We have to find our way through trial and error sometimes, and that's time-consuming, and it can be stressful. But if we experiment our way into a strong solution, everybody will feel better and own it afterward. Beautiful. So we are coming to the end of the segment. And so that that reminds me of kind of the idea of going slow to go fast. We have to make the time to invest in not only understanding the root cause of the issue, but I as the leader have to be centered and focused And I have to work with all of the people involved with kindness and grace and understand their perspectives and then be able to come back and look beyond each unique situation to synthesize and 
bring the problem to closure because that as leaders is the expectation. Sounds right. So Liz, will you give us your contact information so that our listeners can learn more about you, work with you, read your information? Oh, sure. Thank you. Uh, My website is www.lizkislik.com, and I'm sure you'll have that in the show notes. And Maureen, if your audience would like, there's actually a free ebook there that they can get um, that is about dealing with the interpersonal aspect of conflict, and they may find it helpful. And there's loads of other material. There's a monthly newsletter and a weekly blog and lots of articles that I've written on just these kinds of subjects. They can also find me on LinkedIn, of course. Great. And uh, just so people know, it's L-I-Z-K-I-S-L-I-K if you want to get that information from the podcast. And we will also post at least one of your articles on the Innovative Leadership site. So to our listeners, thank you very much for joining us today. I trust that you have learned information from Liz that you can immediately put into practice. We would love to hear from you. Reach out to me at info at innovateleader.com. Send me a message on LinkedIn or on Facebook at Innovate Leader. And also like us on Facebook or sorry, like us on iTunes or Voice America and rate us. The ratings help us be evaluated more highly. And we hope that you listen to us again soon. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.